occasionally here on Wild Precious Life, we have the opportunity to showcase one of the other podcasts in the works here at Evergreen. So I caught up with Heather Drago, founder and chief strategist at Clever Girl Marketing, to chat about her show. That's a hard no. Have a listen. And if you're interested in learning more about setting healthy boundaries in your own life, check out That's a Hard No today. Heather Drago, welcome to Wild Precious Life. Thank you so much for having me on. It's lovely to see your smiling face. <laughs> and I know you I know you from We're on the Same Network. So I know that you host a podcast that I've listened to called That's a Hard No, where, among other things, you talk to folks about setting boundaries and yes, letting yes. go of the fear and the guilt and the shame associated with what it means to tell people no. I'd love to hear like what first got you interested in that topic. And if you wouldn't mind, <laughs> just tell us some of your story. So I jokingly say all the time that I'm not an expert in setting boundaries. I'm an expert in struggling to set boundaries. So um, this all came out of my realization a few years back that the stress and the burnout I was feeling um, was because I, I hadn't said no. So I'll take you back to the beginning of 2019, end of 2018. Um, I'm a small business owner. I have a little marketing agency. And um, we had grown like by leaps and bounds that year. And yet I was... I had paid everyone else in my company more than I'd paid myself. Um, we, even though we brought in more revenue than ever, we lost money. Um, I was stressed out, burned out. I had some major end of year confrontations with people that could have been avoided, and um, I'd also had a family tragedy occur that that year, um, where there was a major fire and family member was severely injured. And so there was just a lot of drama and stress that year. And so at the end of the year, I just thought, oh my God, I should have said no here. I should have said no there. This thing that's blowing up in my face really could have been nipped in the bud if I had just been assertive in the beginning and nipped things in the bud. And um, and so someone had said something to me earlier in the year that, uh, and they it was a simple, you need to learn how to say no. And that just kept circling in my brain. And so at the beginning of 2019, I was like, I, I can't keep doing this. I really cannot keep doing this. This is, this is almost pathological, the, the way I can't say no. So I have to find a way to teach myself how to do this, how to become comfortable with it. So I decided that I would start saying no to one thing every single day. It didn't matter what it was or how big it was. It could be not answering a phone call. Um, I mean, I'm such a inherent people pleaser that if some if a client calls me, I pick up the phone no matter what I'm doing. If I get an email, I answer it right away. If someone says I can meet on this day, doesn't matter if I have something going on, I'll reschedule my life so that I can accommodate them. Right? Like it was just like so completely backwards. So I just made it a point of every day finding one thing to say no to. And over time, I, I started to really become aware of my feelings when I had to make the decision to say no. I, I, just, I just became more in tune with the struggle. And as time went on, it became less about 
my feelings and the fears and all that stuff, letting people down, and more about the sort of gamification that I'd created where I was actively looking for things to say no to. And as I as I would, you know, achieve that little goal each day, I started to feel good about it. And so then at the end of 2019, um, I met with a client. We were celebrating um, a complete rebuild of their website and kind of some things we had done through the year and kicking off the new year. And she turned to me and said, what is 2020 going to be about? And I kind of looked at her and said, you know, I don't think I have this thing looked yet. I like I notice I'm I'm more comfortable doing it related to work, less comfortable doing it with my family and personal life. I think I still need to work on this. And she kind of looked at me and smiled and said, no 2.0. And I was like, yes, no 2.0. And so that became the new hashtag. And so I just decided I was going to continue with this journey. I had a suspicious health thing going on. Uh, New Year's Eve day, went to a nurse practitioner. By February 5th, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, It was uh, pretty traumatic. And at the same time, we were hearing on the news the stuff about this COVID thing going on and possibly coming our way. So it was a pretty scary time going, you know, you go through all these weird biopsies and tests and stuff, and that's just scary on its own. In many ways, it was very scary and traumatic, but also I was incredibly lucky and fortunate. First of all, we live in Cleveland, Ohio, which has the Cleveland Clinic and University Hospitals, and there's just like the best healthcare in the world is here. So I was able to get diagnosed and, you know, hooked up with the right team right away. And because of the timing of everything, I was literally one of the very last people in the greater Cleveland area to get surgery at the Cleveland Clinic. My surgery was on March 16th, 2020, and our lockdown in Ohio was March 17th. Um, And so because of that, I was able to kind of get in, get my surgery, and then continue on with my my healing and then moving on to radiation and stuff. So the funny thing about that all happening is talk about learning how to set boundaries and no 2.0. It was like graduate level degree (laughs) studies and setting boundaries. And so I did all kinds of things to really, really kind of talk about lockdown, lockdown, you know, my bubble and as far as like information flow and fatigue and stress and all that stuff. I, you know, I really, um, decided, you know, I had to set a whole, all kinds of new boundaries. Um, and then, you know, gradually my health, you know, the world came back to normal. I came back to normal. Um, and then later in the year, I kind of got a a challenge to pitch a podcast and I was like, I know exactly what I want to talk about and talk to my friend, Sarah Saunders, who was on with me the first two seasons. And, um, and so we just like, we, it was just such a thing. And, and, and as I was going through all this stuff from the beginning in 2019 to even through the, the cancer stuff, like everyone I ever talked to about saying no and setting boundaries and my struggles with it, everyone can relate. Everyone I talked to in some form or another has issues with it. And so I just felt like I know I've, the conversations I have with my friends and colleagues about it, like I just find inspiration and and kind of reinforcement, like, yeah, I'm on the right track. I'm doing the right thing. And so I just felt like that would be something that people could benefit from in a podcast. And also I like to talk, so gave me something to talk about. <laughs> so, so that's the story of my no journey and starting a podcast. And it's still something I struggle with every single day, like literally this week, you know, I've kind of 
sat back and was like, oh, man, I should have not even tried for that thing. <laughs> it really ate up a lot of time. I should have said no. So it's it's an ongoing struggle. That's life, right? Sure. Wow. That's a, <laughs> that's a whirlwind. I knew that everyone had a whirlwind 2020, but it sounds like oh, yeah. layered on top of that, um, yeah. you had a whole set of health challenges. Can you think of something that it was helpful to say no to specifically during your cancer diagnosis and treatment? So, you know, when you're pregnant with kids and every other woman you meet goes in and starts telling you the worst pregnancy and labor <laughs> and delivery stories ever. And you're, and so now every yeah. mom, every new mom I'm, I meet, I'm like, don't let people tell you their delivery stories. Do not. You don't need to hear the horror stories, right? So as soon as I was diagnosed with cancer, anyone I knew who or who I met who had been through something similar started, they wanted to be helpful. Everybody wants to be helpful. And they started coming at you. It's almost like I'm going on a trip to Europe. And then everyone's like, you got to do this. You got to do that. You got to hook up here. You got to go to this place. You got to get this document, blah, blah, blah. Same thing with cancer. People are like, you got to do this. You got to do that. You got to go to this organization. You got to get, and it was just information overload. Um, People started telling me terrifying stories about things that happened to them and radiation or whatever, chemo. And and um, and then everybody wanted to know what was happening at all these different stages because there's all these different steps you go through in terms of diagnosis and planning and testing and all this stuff. And I... It was already so scary and so stressful. I was like, I, I, don't, I cannot take care of all you people around me and take care of myself. I'm going to focus on taking care of myself. So I found out about a platform, sort of like a private social media platform called CaringBridge. And it's something that you can send email invitations out to just a very specific group of people. And you can put your health updates on this platform. And just those people you invite have access to it. You can send them like, got this test result today, blah, blah, blah you know, whatever it is, you can send pictures, you can, they can send you notes back and encourage you. But that way it's like in one place, you've put a barrier around it. So like you're not advertising, you know, all my clients aren't seeing on Facebook, all the stuff, the personal stuff I'm going through. It's not public. And I only had to do it once, or sometimes my husband would do it for me. And it was just put it out there. You have the information. I don't want to talk to you about it. <laughs> You know, I just didn't want to have conversations about it. Now, I also didn't want, I had cancer. I wasn't cancer. I kept saying, I am not cancer. This is not my entire being. I don't want every conversation I have during this time to be about cancer. So it was just, I was very protective of myself. Um, and I'll be really honest. I think because I had this diagnosis and because the world was going through COVID, it actually was easier to set boundaries during that time than after because I had a really good excuse. People were like super understanding and I, I felt like, yeah, I'm taking care of myself. I have to do this for myself. And I, I felt empowered to say no. So it was a lot easier. Do you think there's something about being a woman in particular that makes it more difficult to say no? I think so. I, I, now, I'm not a man, so this is coming from a woman's perspective. And when I say, you know, especially for women uh, to a man, sometimes men will come back and go, oh, no, I feel this too. You know, I struggle with this too. But I think in general, women are kind of um, 
maybe not implicitly told, but there's a there's an unspoken expectation that we are the caretakers. We are the hostesses with the mostesses. We are the ones who put up all the holiday direct decorations and host the parties and, you know, make sure mom's okay and, um, you know... We're that social lubricant in our families to make everything happen. And I and I and if we don't do it, who's gonna do it? Um and and we are, you know, feel like bad moms, bad sisters, bad parents if we don't do those things. I think there's there is there's definitely um an invisible load on women. This one we had a we had a wonderful um pediatrician on our podcast a couple of times, um, Susan Landers, and she talks about the invisible load of motherhood. And it's so true. There's just this, this understanding, this unspoken agreement that women are going to do all these things. And I think it really came to the fore during the pandemic. You know, the working moms I know who suddenly had kids at home that had to get educated and they had jobs and clients and things they had to do and the house and all the stuff. Um, it was exhausting. And I think it's just something we don't talk about enough. Yeah, yeah. I talked um, earlier this year with a psychotherapist and author, Nancy Collier, who um, wrote a book called The Emotionally Exhausted Woman. And she used this phrase that women are um, were raised to be, quote, dependably pleasing. Oh, yes. You know, like being the good girl mm-hmm. and being liked mm-hmm. and how part of being an adult is that we can be so dependably pleasing um, to take care of everyone else that we can get to the end of a day and look back and there was no us. <laughs> there was no me. Yeah. When did I take care of me today? I mean, I think there's just the societal stuff. And then I think there's also, for some of us, a layer of trauma. So I definitely had some childhood traumas with capital T's. I once had a therapist, as I told him my whole story, kind of look at me and go, oh, so you were raised in chaos. And I was like, oh, oh, I was. Holy cow. And so in order to navigate that chaos and make sure, you know, my mom, who's a single mom struggling with her own mental health issues and we were living in poverty and all that stuff, I became the perfect child. I became a caretaker as a very young child. Um, I knew I knew the struggles my mom was going through, and so I had to make sure that I was I was not negatively impacting her mental health in any way. And, you know, it was the, my life is so hard because I have you, but also I'll kill myself if I didn't have you. Like, it was just like this unbelievable responsibility to make sure my family members were okay. And I think that that has really informed my development as a person. And so, you know, as a mom, I was just very much, very hands-on, very, you know, um, involved. And, you know, yeah, I just, I don't know. It's Like, I think some stuff is implied in our society, but I think we also, like, have our own hang-ups and assume responsibility for things that maybe no one else does. And... I'm, you know, I'm trying to come to terms with the fact that, you know, some of this stuff is self-imposed. Yeah. That sounds like um, a lot to be growing up with a mom <laughs> for whom boundaries, it sounds like, were, were hard. I mean, we all yeah. as parents have the things we struggle with. And yeah. when, um, especially when a parent doesn't always know where they end and their child begins, that can be really hard on both parties to to do the work they need to do to get through a day. 
Yeah. And I think it's it's hard to learn how to be a good parent and a good partner when that kind of thing is going on. And so it's taken, you know, I've been married 27 years. I cannot believe it. And it's taken, you know, maybe 22 years to really like figure it out. Like, like, I just feel like the past four or five years, we've kind of figured it out. And, and, um, and even as a parent, I think I'm kind of coming late to the game to understand the, where I begin or where I end and you begin and stuff like that. So, I mean, I don't blame anybody for any of the things I went through, but you know, it's just a matter of becoming self-aware and and being able to look back at our patterns. And I think this whole exercise and forcing myself to really evaluate what I'm doing and and say no has been helped by kind of that inner work and working with therapists and things like that. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out. As I was listening to you talk about some of the things you said no to, the unsubscribe, I wrote that down and underlined it because (laughs) I always forget that that's an option. I just assume that my email has to be full of coupons to buy underwear and pretzels and like whatever nonsense I get every day from just like a shoe store that you glanced at and didn't purchase from. Now they're on to you. So I love, I love knowing that one. What are some other examples of things you've said no to and been glad you did? Yeah. Well, first let me go back to the unsubscribe thing. This is my favorite trick to tell people. So I get overwhelmed by seeing that giant unread email number on my inbox. Um, So I started doing this. I do this like a few times a week. Just go in your inbox, search on the word unsubscribe. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, all these emails you didn't realize you were subscribed to show up. And then you go into, let's say, pick, let's say it's like the shoe store, right? Mm -hmm. Then you go in, click on subscribe on that one, and then search on just that shoe stores from email, right? And then you just see all those and then you just delete them all. It's the most satisfying feeling. It is so good. You're like 500 unread emails gone. It's so good. (laughs) It's the best thing. So, okay, things I've said no to. Like I said, I used to be like, so a client called me at 7 a.m. in the morning and I'm like literally still laying in bed. I would pick up the phone. You know, sometimes the simple no is uh, I just don't pick up the phone. Um, We had uh, an author, Sarah Knight, who wrote this book, Fuck No. It's it's hilarious. It's part of our book club. And she calls that the power no. The power no is you just don't answer. You don't answer the email. You don't pick up the phone. I'm like, I'm all about the power no right now. Power no, click. Sometimes, <laughs> and this is very awkward for some, time, for some people, um, sometimes people invite you to things where there's a lot of financial burden to go to the thing. It's one of those things where you find an alternative. Like, uh, and no doesn't always have to be a super negative thing. There are ways you can say, you know, we'd love to get together with you. That isn't going to work for us. You know, either we'd be happy to host a potluck cookout at our house 
or, you know, we'd love to get together with you another time in another way. But like, you know, we can't keep going out and spending money on things like that. And that, I know that's really hard yeah. for people. You know, people get invited to like destination weddings or mom and dad's anniversary party in Cancun. And they're like, I, I don't have money to do that. So the other thing I say no to is to myself sometimes. You know, when we were all at home during the pandemic, we were like buying everything online. And, and um, I'm usually pretty budget conscious, but, you know. I had my moments during the pandemic where I got some ridiculous things. And so I have a couple of things like if I don't really love something, like love, love, love it, and I kind of like it, I don't buy it. So that's like a no. Like, do I really, really need this? I also have this stupid rule if I go into a big box store like Target or any of those, you know, you go in there for toothpaste and you walk out spending $200 or something. So my rule is I can't – if I don't go with a person in a list, I'm only allowed to buy what I can carry out under my own power. <gasps> wow. As a recently recovering cancer survivor, I've had to adjust my diet, um, and which is just a little bit of a struggle for me because I have a sweet tooth and I've had to learn how to say no to myself in terms of that. And then the other thing I've had to really learn – and I didn't, I didn't think about in the beginning, but I've really had to learn is, is respecting other people's boundaries, especially my adult children, you know, family members, and just being aware that of when I might start, I might be kind of, you know, verging on pushing a boundary and when, when to listen to other people. So that I think that's something, some of the people I know who, talk, who say they really understand the whole boundary thing. Sometimes they're the ones who push boundaries the most and they don't, they're not even really self-aware. So trying to make sure I'm paying attention in that realm as well. That's true because if we're working on boundaries, setting them for ourselves, then my daughter said the other day, she's like, I don't need you to be here right now. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I was thinking I about it. Thank I like, you. But, I, but I needed to, and, yeah. and I was, we weren't in a fight. She just, she wanted some privacy and, and, and I wanted to snap at her and be like, well, that's not the way to tell me that. I'm like, well, actually... It wasn't terrible. You know, she was setting a boundary and, and mm-hmm. working on respecting the boundaries that other people set that I need to exit yeah. stage right yeah. on. I'm always wanting to give advice. I'm always wanting to, you want me to go in with you? No, I'm good. You know, you want some advice? No. <laughs> I don't want your advice. I'm going to call this other person and I'm like, why are they talking to them and not me? I know everything. But, you know, they're young adults and they're finding their way and they don't. You know, I didn't want my mom involved in everything I was doing at their age, so. I'm thinking about one no I have held on to from the pandemic as you were talking about. First off, I love the unsubscribe. I'm going to do that right after this. That sounds amazing. Um, But something else that because school was at home, there was no more volunteering for anything. Like you didn't have to send napkins for the holiday party. So I have found that since the world has opened back up, I have kids who are still school age. So I don't, um, I don't do as much free stuff for the kids school anymore. And I know that makes me seem like a monster to other people, like a parent who doesn't pull my weight, but you know, I, um, I have three kids. I have three jobs. I spend a day of the week uh, caregiving for my mother. I'm a teacher. I'm a podcaster. And if I'm not careful, my days become 100% acts of community service for other people. And when I used to volunteer, I would be cranky going in there to be the parent art aide or the mom who had to remember to buy the juice boxes for the Harvest Festival. And inevitably, I was not happy to be there. So I do make exceptions. You know, I mean, sometimes I'll sign up for something because like all my mom girlfriends are doing it. I'm like, yeah, I want to hang with them. Or if my son's like, will you please, please, please 
come to the art museum. You know, but generally speaking, absent that, I am not baking for the school sale. I'm not chaperoning um, the trip to the orchard or the aquarium because it doesn't bring me joy and I get resentful of my time. And it does every once in a while make me feel like, oh, like even saying this out loud, what if people hear? I'm sorry. But that's a, that is a no I've held on to from the pandemic. And it, it mostly just brings me joy. I think that's great. And I think, I think the thing we forget, especially women, is that volunteering is not just about whom you're serving. Volunteering is supposed to feed your soul. Right. It's supposed to be something you, you're volunteering. You're not begrudgingly accepting penance <laughs> and, you know, serving others because you have to. It's supposed to feed your soul, as you say. And um, if it doesn't, if it's not serving you as well as the you're not really doing anyone a service if you're you're cranky and angry and resenting the fact that you're doing it. And I also think that at least when my kids were younger, um, this is opens a whole nother discussion, but there were, there were the moms who were stay at home moms, quote unquote, right. I was kind of stay at home, but I was kind of my own little contractor and I have a whole other thing, but anyway, and then there were like the moms who were 40 hour a week working outside the home and they got a pass. Nobody resented them if they didn't volunteer. But somehow I felt like the stay-at-home moms felt like they would be resented by the other stay-at-home moms if they didn't pull their weight. And I just don't think that's fair. I think we we put too much pressure on ourselves. And, I th and honestly, no one expects every single parent to come in and volunteer. Honestly, I think sometimes parents are in schools too much. Um, and, they, and kids need to have a division between home and school and learn to be independent. So um, I don't know. I, I That's a whole pet peeve <laughs> conversation <laughs> I could get into. I, I Again, I think a lot of this book we read by Sarah Knight, she talks about anticipating other people's reactions, giving us the anxiety about saying no. It's all, and it's all just stuff we're assuming. And we, we, I mean, simply ask and find out first or or maybe come to the realization that you're not responsible for how other people feel about whether you volunteer or not. You know, it's it's there's so much baggage. Sure, because it turns out a lot of those are just stories that we tell ourselves when most people Correct. are really not thinking about us as much as we right. think at all. Right, right. And if they are, I mean, what other people think about me is really none of my business. It really isn't. Like yeah. if they want to talk to me about it, sure. But if they're yeah. over there, that's just that's what they think, and I don't have to yeah. worry about that. And um, one of the ways I got over that is. I have a couple of uh, one family member and one friend who who are really good at saying no and setting boundaries. And they don't know it, but they're kind of like my little mentors. And so there'll be situations where I'll think, well, what would they do? What would this person do? They'd have no problem saying no. Like they would just say no and move on with their life and go, you know, so like, why am I beating myself up about this? So I think some people struggle with it more than others. And I think a lot of it is the guilt, the shame, the anxiety we have that's like all built up in our own um, expectations we put upon ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's good to have a, a no mentor or like a no aspirational relationship goal that, that I can think of actually of one or two women in my life who will now be my 
my I'll just summon them yeah. when I when I need to say yeah. to say no. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. Heather, Heather Drago, thank you so much for for stopping by. And folks, Heather hosts the That's a Hard No podcast. I will make sure to link to it in the show notes as well as the books she referenced. And um, if you are someone who's struggling to set boundaries, if you like both of us have sometimes seen your day as an act of community service toward other people, but but you are um, feeling that you're sort of along for the ride and not really in control of what does and does go down, um, I really urge you to, to have a listen. And Heather, I hope that we uh, cross paths again. Definitely. I hope so, too. This has been a great conversation. Thanks so much for inviting me. Thank you for stopping by. Wild Precious Life is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producers Gerardo Orlando and Michael D'Aloya. Producer Sarah Wilgrube and audio engineer Ian Douglas. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.